Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. somebody doing that here in a local theater. We don't have that kind of imagination. And uh, they, they were going to give a prize to, uh, you know, the kid that brought in the, the greatest, biggest rat. Chow Lai Chan, a distant relative of Charlie, won a year's supply of admission tickets for two when he produced a rat 11 inches long minus its tail. That's a pretty good rat. But that ain't nothing, friends. If you think that's a good rat. Rangoon. Here's a note from Rangoon. Peasants in northern Burma are using bows and arrows against giant rats which have inundated the area and are destroying rice and maize crops. I mean, they're fighting them with bows and arrows there. One dead rat weighed 45 pounds. I repeat, one dead rat weighed 45 pounds. Now, 45 pounds? I mean, that's a rat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, there were, cause there's all kinds of problems, you know, with animals these days. I mean, you know, the world is getting, is getting all, uh, you know, hung on animals in one way or another. Because I think, I think the animal world is taking a different twist than it used to. And uh, here's a note that uh, you might uh, find uh, somewhat... Uh, it, it tells a lot, about, uh, a lot about alien cultures, you know. Uh, because, you know, each culture is different towards animals. It really is. Uh, for example... Uh, it would never occur to, say, a guy running a theater in uh, the Bronx uh, to have a contest for the kid locally to bring in the biggest rat, which means that they have a different attitudes, apparently, towards rats in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> Do you agree? Well, all right, listen to this goodie. Uh, this is from Lagos. I was in Lagos, you know, uh, a few years ago. And uh, listen to this. Nigerian police have arrested a goat for, uh, now that means they arrested him. Remember, that that's not, uh, that wouldn't even be done here in this country, as far as I know. But they arrested a goat for suspected kidnapping. The animal was kept under observation at a police station in the Lagos suburb of Ikoya because a man believed to be a kidnapper was reported to have changed into a goat. Uh-huh. Nigerian television showed films of the goat and of large crowds, which gathered after it was detained. And the crowds all came to see this goat that was, you know, they put the arm on him. 
says there's a kidnapping scare going on in Lagos. Four men have been stoned to death when suspected by onlookers of trying to entice away children. Kidnappers are widely believed to have supernatural powers, enabling them to charm children into following them or even change into animals when detected. So this goat, uh, you know, it's a guy that's just a disguise. He, uh, he, you know, changed into a goat. And uh, I don't blame him because I, I've, I've been followed by some very suspicious-looking dogs. Uh, and certainly I know of at least one cat that uh, displayed very uncat-like characteristics when pressed to the wall. I mean, it came damn near talking. But, uh, it, so, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just, just reporting these things. And I, speaking of big rats, I shouldn't even tell you this story, you know, because most of you nice people here... Uh, you know, probably one of the five or six, I'd say one of the ten major leading male movie stars of our time, right? That's a, and he and he does the kind of stuff that everybody secretly envies. Well, I'm sitting with this guy, and he says, "You want to go out for coffee?" And I said, "Yeah." So we go across the street to this restaurant. We're sitting in there having coffee. Nobody recognized him, and uh, he. He looks kind of, kind of bugged, and uh, I didn't say anything about him. I'm drinking coffee. This guy, I knew him, so he's a friend of mine. So we're drinking coffee. Funny, he comes out. He says, "Oh God," he says, "I'm getting so damn tired of this." I said, "Tired of it? What?" Oh God, he said, "What a drag." I said, "Being a movie star is a drag." Oh, what a drag! Well, then he yeah, then he began to pour it out. See what was you know what was an un- unbelievable drag, and how he hated his job, how he hated the, all the guys. He says, if he, he says if I if I've got to listen to that guy, you know he's this guy pontificate. He says what a bag of wind. If I have to listen to this guy another five minutes, I think I'm going to blow my gasket. He's talking about this famous director, you know, that everybody's always interviewing. He says, what a fake, what a phony. This guy's a fathead of the worst order. Oh, God, I hate this. I said, well, you know, you, you, you could have stayed at Macy's. I, said, I wish I had. You know, if I was at Macy's now today, I would be the head of the, of the, of the men's clothing department if I'd stayed. And you could see the regret in his eyes. Reedy was bucked. If I told you who it was, you wouldn't believe it. In short, what I'm saying is that no matter what job you have, you gripe. <laughs> I mean, it's a drag. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York. No, 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 no. I just, just looked up the clock. That reminded me. <laughs> uh, while, we're, <laughs> while we're on the subject of uh, getting down to work here, let's get to work here. Uh, Shepard's got a commercial. Would you hit the button, please? Please. It's a misty night. Walking along Cedar Street, hand in hand are Andy and Betsy. Know what Andy's doing besides being nervous about how he can kiss Betsy goodnight? (laughs) He's sneaking a lifesaver. And not even Betsy will know he snuck it until he kisses her. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Lemon, got another lifesaver? Girls are why boys should always carry plenty of lifesavers.
trademark. Yes, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. Now, we have a little note here to remind you that the House of Chan is still a superb restaurant. Uh, they have been for 35 years on the corner of 52nd Street and 7th Avenues, right in the heart of pulsating Manhattan. And if you're going to a theater or someplace, this is a little word here, if you're, you know, one of the big problems is to walk in. You're, you're going on a big, you know, going to the theater and you're going to have dinner or something before the show. Boy, I'll tell you, how many times have you bought a, a, a big, expensive dinner and it arrives four and a half minutes before you got to leave? Uh, that has happened. And I would suggest that when you go to, to uh, they, they know all that problem, you know, there at the House of Chan. You just tell them you're going to the theater and they'll lay it on you fast and good. They will not ski. Yeah, they, they're good there. They're, they're one of the best Chinese restaurants around. And they're at the corner of 30, they're at corner of 52nd and 7th. And one point I want to make out here, and you, you're going to want to know, they got a bar. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, for those who like the bar in the back there, it's important. And uh, they got one. I'll just let you know. It's okay. You can go there. <laughs> it's okay. It's uh, 52nd and 7th, right in the middle of everything here. The House of Chan. We were really leading a life of married singles. We were living two separate lives under one roof. Well, when I look back, I can see that our marriage had become stagnant. Many couples, like this husband and wife, have a nagging feeling that their marriages should be better. Now, thousands of couples on Long Island have experienced a new way of improving their lives together. It's called Marriage Encounter, and it's described this Sunday in Newsday's L.I. Magazine. How does marriage encounter? It's a funny thing about once you have left a job, it may have been a real... There's only a couple of jobs that I've had in my life that I can look back on and say they were untold, absolutely total drags. And at no point can I look back on them and say, you know, gee, that was kind of fun. <laughs> no way. But, uh, but things tend to soften, uh, yeah, as you go away. And uh, they, you, you remember a lot of stuff that you didn't even notice much at the time. But uh, I was working the steel mill, see? And now, remember, I was a kid. You know, I was just a kid. I was about 16 at the time. It was the summertime. And, uh, and I, was, uh, I was working as, a, as what they call a mail boy. Well, and this is not what it sounds like. It's a, it's a highly complicated job, really, there. Because the mill covers about, oh, well, figured out, there's, there's 27,000 guys work there. That was what the, the, the workforce was at the time, three shifts. And it covers about oh, about a hundred square miles. It's a tremendous place. And the thing that a mailboy had to have, uh, after about four or five months of training, you could you knew every last office, little tiny offices, little bitty weighing scale offices. You knew every place in the mill, like the back of your hand, and and even the uh, the important supervisors and the big superintendents didn't know that. Uh, they knew their own mill. But the mailboy knew every last thing about this place. It's a fantastic place, and it was it became very intimate to you. You knew every every place where hot air would come out and blast you in the back of the neck if you didn't look right, and uh, you knew where to be careful and where not to be careful. You knew where you could run, where you could walk, and all this stuff. Now they worked in a department called the Tin Mill of Sorting. See, and these chicks wore these blue uniforms, and they worked under 
fluorescent lights, and they would they would they would examine the big sheets of tin. Now these pieces of tin were about oh thirty by thirty six, and they wore big gloves and they'd flip them over like playing cards. I could still hear the sound of the of the tin being flipped, and they would flip it under these special lights, and they would look for flaws in the tin. See, and they go, and they would flash beautiful blue green lights, and man, these chicks were something else. I mean, there were all kinds of fantastic girls working there. Uh, there were, you know, Polish, Lithuanian, uh, Hungarian chicks. You know, fantastic. They all looked, they all looked a little bit like uh, Sophia Loren's kid sister. You know, that kind. Earthy peasants, see? <laughs> and they're... From every time they would flip, they would radiate animal vitality. Well, I had been going past and through the tin mill now for about three months, running through the tin mill with my bag of mail over my shoulder, you know, running through there, and I'd see these girls. And right in the middle of all the girls, they were surrounded like a great field of, of, uh, of feminine passion. Right in the middle of this field of chicks was this glass office. It was about, oh, maybe 40 feet by 25 feet, but it had glass windows all around it. And that was the tin mill assorting office. And I would come and I would deliver mail to this office, see? There was a guy named Chester there, Chester Gotch. And Chester was always, yeah, Chester Gotch was his name. And Chester was always, every time I got there, he was always eating a salami sandwich. Chester Gotch must have had 30, maybe 40 salami sandwiches with him a day. He just mainlined salami. And I'd come in, and old Gotch is sitting there eating a salami sandwich on rye, in case you're interested in the details, a little touch of mustard. And that he is sitting there looking out of this glass cage at all these all these bimbos out there, flipping the glass and flipping the tin, you know. They flip the tin, they look in at Chester, see. Oh, I'll tell you, in those blue uniforms, they were, see, they were specially cut blue uniforms because if they were loose, it was kind of dangerous because they would catch a sheet of tin on them and they'd cut them all up, see. So these were real tight blue uniforms. And these girls were extremely glandular. <laughs> Flipping it up, you know. And, and, and Chester's sitting in there all the time eating the, <laughs> eating the salami sandwich. Well, every time I'd come in here, I want to tell you, I'd come in there, you know, and, whoo, boy, my... I had safety glasses, see, I had to wear safety glasses. I, just going through that field of these fantastic women, my safety glasses would cloud up with passion. Well, I come in there every day, and I always look forward to coming to that office. And it was only one trip a day I'd make that office, and I'd come in there, and I'd lay the mail down, I'd say, hi, Chester. They'd say, what you got today? You always the same thing, you know. The, w work, they sort of develop a whole routine. What you got today? And I'd say, oh, just a couple things, Chester. Here's the milling load, the mill loading. And then I would turn around and I would go out and I would always adjust my safety glasses. And I had this big yellow safety helmet on. And I'd run through that crowd of women. And uh, yeah. I remember one called Sophie Subiak. Sophie Subiak. And right next to her was her friend Helen. And every time I'd go past, these two chicks would go... Hiya, buddy. Hiya. Because you know? <laughs> we had a thing going. You know, How, how's it going? Why don't you come down some night after work? And she, well, here I was. It was, a, it was an unbelievable stroke of fate. Good fortune. Fantastic stroke. I am being assigned to the Tin Mill Assorting Office. Me. I said, when do I go out there, Mr. Moss? You report tomorrow morning at 8. I said, what am I going to do out there? 
because there was only three guys in this office. There was Chester, there was Mr. Kennedy, and a guy named Herman who'd sit in the back and go, he had a, st- a, a punch, and all day long, he's just going, he's pounding on cards. I don't know what he was doing. He's, <laughs> he's pounding his cards. So I, I said, what am I going to do? He said, I don't know. He says, you go out and, and, and report to Mr. Gotch. I said, report to Mr. Gotch. And he says, yep. I said, why no, Mr. Gotch? That's Chester. He says, well, you report to Mr. Gotch. You're working for Mr. Gotch. And at that point, he pulls his hat down. He goes back to work. That means he's dismissing me. You know how bosses, when they're, when they're turning you off, see? Well, I'm all excited. See, I go into, I go into the mail room, and I say, hey, Freddie. Freddie was my mail, you know, my, 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 my boy friend. See, me and Freddie worked the, the roots together. So I says, hey, Freddie, I'm, I'm getting assigned. He says, where are you going? I said, 10 mil assorting. He said, oh, my God, no kidding. Permanent? I said, I don't know. I'm going to work in a 10 mil assorting office. It's with all those chicks. I said, that's right. Well, it was the double jackpot. You know, it was like getting, it was like, you know, getting, getting assigned to heaven. Uh, you're in charge of harp strings or something, you know? So I said, uh, well, last day here, Chet. You know, I'll see you, old Freddie. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, I'll, I'll drop by. I said, you know, at lunchtime. You know, that's a they only work eight to five there. You know, of course, in the mail room we worked. <laughs> oh God, what hours! And I said, I'll come down for lunch. See, that was about a block away from the mail room. And so the next morning, I am all dressed up. I've got my new corduroy jacket that I got at Sears. See, I'm going to work in the in the office there. See, and I got myself a nice shirt. And I even, I even to, to make sure, you know, I, I put it on real good. See, I got myself one of these ties, you know, the clip-on that they wear in the mill. See, I got a tie. And I didn't even have to wear safety shoes there. That, that's the, in the mill, it was considered a real, real status symbol. If you got a job that you didn't have to wear safety shoes, that meant that you were moving up the ladder. <laughs> so I, I show up, you know, at the five minutes to eight, and all the chicks are coming to work. See, they got their blue uniforms on, all the green lights are being lit in the yellow lights. And then I see Sophie over there, and I see Helen, and I wave to Sophie. How are you, Sophie? And she gives me the eye, see? Because she's not used to seeing me there at that hour. I used to, to come running through with the mail, see? She gives me the eye. So I walk, I casually walk over and say, hey, Sophie. And she says, yeah, what? Yeah, well, yes. And I said, Sophie, I'm working here. She says, here? What are you doing? I said, well, I don't know. I'm working uh, Mr. Gotch's assistant. I'm <laughs> working there in the Tin Miller sorting office. She says, oh, well, I'll see you later. She takes that big glove and goes, <laughs> she flips a big piece of tin in my face. Well, I walk into the office, and there's Chet sitting there. This time he does not say, what do you got? for me today. He just looks up and he said, uh, you're two minutes late. I said, well, I, I was just out talking to Sophie. He said, Sophie, you mean the big broad down there on number 12? I said, yeah. She's all right. He says, well, you ready to go? And at that, he turns around and he looks over at Herman. See, the guy sitting in the van. He says, hey, Herman, how do you think he's going to do? And with that, Herman says, well, we'll see. And Chet Gotch says, all right. He says, over there, he says, your stuff is at the bottom of the file cabinet, the green file cabinet, the one over by the wall. He says, your stuff's in the bottom drawer. I said, what stuff? 
So he just opened it up and he said, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what to do. So I walk over there. I figure I'm going to have a desk, you know, like all the other guys in the office. I'm going to have a desk, a telephone, my little name on the thing, you know. <laughs> Mail's going to come to me. This is, a, you know, I, you, you always had these dreams of glory, you know. So I walk over and I open up the bottom of the file cabinet. There's a whole pile of stuff in there, cans of stuff. And there's this. I said, what's this stuff? He says, well, look over behind the cans. He says, get those things out of there. So I reach in behind the cans. I can't believe what I got. Behind the cans, there's about 15 big rat traps. What you do is you put the bait on that tongue. I want you to set these rats, rat traps. He says, and I want you to, that's, your, that's what you're going to do. You're going to catch the rats around here. I said, I'm catching rats? He said, yep. He said, I'll tell you this. He said, if you're as good as Stanley, you're going to be damn good. I said, Stanley? He said, Stanley, yeah. Well, he said, Stanley was here this spring catching rats. Best rat catcher we ever had. Fantastic. Got promoted up to the main office. I said, Stanley got promoted to the main office? And Herman then chimes in in the back and he says, listen, kid, if you catch rats half as good as Stanley, you're going to be damn good. Well, I never saw this Stanley scene. Now, already I'm working under the legend. It's so terrible to replace a great performer. I mean, it really is, you know. I mean, I mean, can you imagine the poor character, you know, who, who had to come in and, and fill in for Mickey Mantle? When you, when you sit down at the end of the bench <laughs> and the crowd's hollering, We want Mickey! We want Mantle! They ain't hollering for Herman or Fred, who's just come up for Rochester to replace him. Well, here I am, you know, already, and I'm knocked on this, this, the great legendary Stanley. So I said, well, what do I do? He says, well, what do you mean, what do you do? You catch rats. That's what you do. He says, now, where are the, I said, where are the rats? He says, well, they're out there by the, the tracks down there, by the shipping dock. He says, there's rats around the back. He says, you know what, you know what these damn girls do? He says, they eat their lunch, and then they throw all the bread, all the bread uh, crusts and all that junk around. He says, these rats come in here. He says, the place is full of them now. He says, your job is to catch rats. He says, and that's your job. He said, I don't, he said, I don't, you know, go find Stanley. Ask him where he caught him. Stanley knew how to catch rats. Well, there I am. I'm on my own. <laughs> Chester wants to have nothing to do with catching rats. You know, the great Stanley come in and catch the rats. See, so I says, all right. So I said, where do I get the bait? Ah, oh, bait. He says, what do you mean, where do you get the bait? He says, why don't you, he says, go down to the commissary and ask him for some bait. Stanley, he says, Stanley didn't bother me with his stuff. Oh, jeez, that damn Stanley. So I, 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 we had a commissary down at the end of the mill. See, so I go down to the end of the mill, and, and in there's all these guys eating. You know, they said, you know, a cafeteria-type place. So I walk in. I'm looking around for the guy. I used to deliver mail to this guy down there. See, there was a guy named Mr. Roberts I delivered the mail to. So I said, is Mr. Roberts here? And uh, they thought I was a mail boy coming in, see? So the girl says, oh, uh, Mr. Roberts, the mail boy's here. So Mr. Roberts comes out. He says, "What do you want?" I said, "Well, I want some some rat, some some rat bait." She want what? I said, "I want rat bait." He says, "Rat bait? What are you going to do with rat bait on the mail route?" I said, "I'm working down here at the tin mill sorting office, and I work for Mr. Gotch, and I need some rat bait." He says, "You're replacing Stanley." And I said, "Yeah." He said, "Boy, that kid was fantastic." The great Stanley. <laughs> I never saw this character. The great Stanley again. So he says, "Well, look." He says, uh, "He says I'll get you some of the stuff." You know, Stanley had his own way. You know, he says, "I'll 
I'll, what do you want? I said, well, gee, what do I have to eat? How about some cheese, you know, or some, some, uh, some old hamburger or something like that? He said, well, okay. He says, uh, hey, Madge, fix up some of that stuff that Stanley used to use. Stanley had his own bait. And so she goes in the back, and about five minutes later, she comes walking out. And what has she got? Now, listen to what she used to, what, what, what Stanley invented. See, already I'm, I'm working under the great Stanley. Stanley would take old hamburger, you know, like stuff that has not been used. It's, you know, it gets a little gamey. And, and he would have this chick grind up old cheese ends, you know, these hard ends of, of cheese. And he would grind them together with the, with the old gamey, <laughs> gamey meatloaf and make little balls out of them. Really gamey stuff, see? And she comes out with a, with a cellophane bag full of these little balls. And I said, what is this? She says, that's what Stanley, Stanley used to have me make these for him. And I said, uh, what is it? She says, well, it's hamburger and old cheese. And she says, keep them in there. And she says, the, the older they get, the better they are. I said, okay. So I go out with my little bag of bait. <laughs> I go down. I don't know what I'm going to do. See, the first thing. So I, 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 I start walking around down by the track, seeing. So uh, I, I, I set a couple traps. I put a thing in there, you know. I put the bait in. I get it down. And all of a sudden, I put it down by the tracks. And I put one under the, under the, they had a big uh, cardboard cutting table. I put one under the cutting table. And I put one in the back where we, we, we threw out all the waste paper. And I walked up and down. There was a Coke machine we had. I put one back in the Coke machine. And uh, I, I start going back. Now, I put all 15 of them on. See, so I come back. I walk back into the into the office. And I said to, to Chester, I says, oh, all my traps are out. He says, oh, don't bother me with it. That's your job. Don't come here. Tell me your troubles. I got my own troubles. <laughs> and he's on the phone. So what am I supposed to do, see, at this point? So uh, I sort of hang around a little bit, and then I, I figured the, better, the best thing to do is to stay out of their sight. So I go walking back out, and I go over, you know, and I look at Sophie, and she's flipping a tin, flipping the old tin. I said, how are you, Sophie? She said, uh, all right, flipping a tin. She's looking at me. She says, uh, say, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, baby. She says, where's Stanley? Stanley! I said, I don't know where Stanley is. He got transferred to the main office. She says, if you see him, tell him Sophie was asking for him. Stanley's not only the greatest rat catcher that the tin mill ever saw, but he's also making it with the chicks. So I go back out by the tracks, and I start looking at my traps. You know, I'm walking, I'm walking my trap line. <laughs> Any of you ever walked your trap line? Well, the first three, the first three traps, nothing. The fourth trap, the one back by the, in the back where we threw all the wastebasket stuff out. See, we had a big, big garbage heap back there. That last, that fourth one, it's been sprung. No rat. And no cheese. It is gone. Well, I said, son of a gun. See, so I'm putting more stuff in there, and I load it up again. See, and I put that baby down under the waste paper, and I start going around. Well, by God, I couldn't believe it. I'm walking on my, I'm walking on the, 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 the trap line, I get over by the Coke machine, I caught a rat! There was a rat in the Coke machine! You know, there it was! A little rat, you know, he's about two inches long. I caught a rat, see? So I whip it out, you know, I got a rat. Well, I take the rat, see, and I take it back into the, into the office. At which point, Chester got just, get that thing out of here! Don't bring them rats in here! What are you bringing a rat in here for? I said, well, I want to show you I caught a rat. He says, don't bring it in here! Throw it back in the garbage. Don't bring it in there. Oh, God, get that rat out of here. 
So I'd walk out with my trophy thing. Well, that day, the first day, I caught six rats on my trap line. Six rats. And I kept careful score. Well, the next day, I come in. This time, I'm, I'm all excited. Somehow, this stuff started to get to me. So the next day, I come in right away, 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm not messing around with Sophie and that. I start laying my traps. It's like a game, see? <laughs> well, by noon, I had caught maybe seven or eight rats. I'm beginning to get wise to where them babies are. And by that night, I must have caught 20, 25 rats. And I kept score. I, I marked down on a, on a pad how many I caught and where I caught them. See, and I got a Coke machine. <laughs> do see? <laughs> Back out by the number two cardboard cutting machine, three. And so I keep, keep this score. Well, by the end of the week, I can hardly wait to get to work every day. I would come in every morning. <laughs> and then is the day that I hit the jackpot. Fantastic day. I caught about 30 or 40 rats. And so that night, I'm back, you know, I'm back at home, and I'm sitting there at the kitchen table. I'm feeling really great, see? I'm sitting at the kitchen table. I'm feeling on top of it, see? My old man says, Gene, you know, what, what's eating you? You look like you got a fantastic, hot, you know, heavy day tonight. And I said, no, I had a good day at work. He said, what happened? I said, I caught 36 rats today. He said, 36 rats in one day? I said, yep. He said, that's not bad. He said, listen, I got a tip for you, though. He said, you know what rats really like? He says, we always have them down at the plant. I said, what? He says, rats like nothing better than rotten liver. He said, get some rotten liver down at, down at, <laughs> down at Aschenschlager's, and you'll catch more rats than you ever believe. So that Monday, I get myself some rotten liver at Aschenschlager's. I take it to work, and by nightfall, my God, I had 40, 50 rats. And by the end of the week, I came in, I caught maybe 75 rats in one day. And I walk into the Tin Mill sorting office, and Chet looks up and says, You know, you're even better than Stanley. I saw oh, nothing to it. Herman says, Yeah, he's pretty good. He's damn near as good as Stanley. And I walked out on the tin mill floor that day, tall and straight. I walked up to Sophie, and I said, Sophie, how about going over to the Red Eagle with me tonight after work? She says, where's Stanley? I said, the hell with Stanley. I'm moving in. You going? She said, well, you put it that way, yes. And she did. You are listening to one of the truly great rat catchers to come out of Inland Steel. A legend. And even today, kids are being measured against me. But I ain't tipping them to that liver trick. That's what really did it. You know, we professionals keep our... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply.